Well, good morning, Porch community. Woo, it's a good time to worship. Um, if that prayer was real, then, then we're expecting God to, to move this morning, right? Right, is that prayer as we sang it? That's, that's our expectation. So we're in week two of this series. Uh, we are spending the next couple weeks in the eighth chapter of Romans. And if you were here last week and you know we just covered one verse, you understand why now it's a several week series in one book of the Bible. Uh, we just covered this last week. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what we know is this, yes, you are flawed, yes, you sin, yes, this is the reality, Romans 3, 23 tells us this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But then there's good news, because in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we understand this, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Which brings that to the point of why Paul starts this, this chapter that we know as a chapter, chapter 8. And he says, so there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. This is what we know. Um, in setting up this series, what I've done is I've divided it into themes, which if you look at your Bible, it's often in themes. It, you'll see little headings that are in there. And um, this section today, we're covering more than one verse. We're looking at verses 2 through 13. And this theme of this section is sin it's it's flesh it's flesh and spirit flesh and spirit and friends this matters and and um it matters more than i think most of us give much thought to um if you ever wonder to yourself wow why did i why did i do that why did i say that why did i respond that way why did i think that well, it's because of this. As a believer, there is a battle going on in your life between the law of the flesh, the law of sin, and the law of the spirit. It's going on. There's a battle going on. And so this, this battle going on in the life of a believer, it's, it's these two different laws. Go and read later the, second, the latter part of um, Romans chapter 7. And here, read Paul's description of his battle we looked at it last week as well but go and read that again and see the battle playing out between the flesh and the spirit right sin and spirit um, but the good news is this and this is where we're we're starting off today the really good news is that we are set free from this law we are set free from the law of sin and so my prayer this week has been that, to, that today, these words found in Romans chapter 8, that this time together, that this message, that the worship time we spend together, that today would be a day that would be like healing words, the healing presence of God to, to perhaps some, some burdened or some weary souls that are in here today. That's been my prayer for this message. So we begin in verse 2 of Romans 8, and it says this, okay, we understand this promise is that we're set free from the law of sin. This is good news. Verse 2 says, Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. One law, there's two laws being mentioned here, but one law is more powerful than the other. One law it has more power than the other. The law of the Spirit is more powerful than the law of sin and death. Even though there's a battle going on, one law is more powerful. But isn't it, isn't it crazy that we surrender to the lesser law all the time? You find yourself doing that? 
Like you surrendering to the lesser law, the one that has the least amount of power between these two laws, and yet we give into it all the time. There's the law of the spirit of life, and there's the law of sin and death, our flesh. And so something I, th- I want us to comprehend today on a, on a deep level, to really take this in, that these two laws are at work. They're at work in your life. They're at work in the world. Your body, uh, it's a physical body. We all will end up succumbing to our physical death, right? It, it, that's part of, of this, the sin and, and the flesh. But the law of the Spirit brings life. The law of the Spirit made possible by Jesus is available for you to choose. It's available for you to choose of your own free will and experience life, life now and life even beyond the physical death that we all will experience. So there's the law of the Spirit. It brings life to us. The law of sin and flesh is death. And here's what the law of the Spirit of life has done. Verse 2 tells us, it has set you free in Christ Jesus. Set you free. Think about this. Um, the wording there, it has set you free. Okay, it has set you free. Not, not that it will finally one day set you free. It, it will, but it also is setting you free right now. Let, let that settle in on you. You are, if you're a follower of Jesus, right now, okay, right now, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are spiritually set free from the law of sin and death right now. Just as we learned last week that right now we are no longer condemned, what we understand here is that right now we are set free, right? We're set free. You might still be sitting in the prison cell of sin and death and flesh and that battle going on, but the cell doors have been opened. It is unlocked right now. So the work of Christ And who he is has freed you from the authority of sin and death. This is what we know. The work of Christ and who he is, it has freed you from the authority of sin and death because it is the lesser law. There's two laws at work. One is greater than the other. Do you believe this, porch community? As we look at Romans 8, is this something we believe, that we live into the reality of of what it is? You know, when you look at at this freedom that is given. Um, I love how it's built, how Paul builds it for us, the understanding of it. Because it's built, actually, verses 3 and 4, it's built within our triune God, within uh, the the Holy Trinity. If you look at the first part of verse 3, what we see is that God is the foundation of our freedom. So we're not the foundation of our freedom. God is the foundation of our freedom. First part of verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. Okay, so, so the law, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have any power. The flesh is sinful. It's, it's, it's just a law. It's just written words. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? He, he came in and put skin on like the rest of us. And he became a sin offering. 
God did. God is the foundation of this freedom that we get to live in. There's two laws at work. One is more powerful than the other, yet some of us often, are we are living as if the other law is more powerful. We've been set free. And the foundation of this freedom is first and foremost found in God. He sets this into motion. He's accomplished what the law is powerless to do. The other truth we find here, this foundation of freedom, is that it's found in Jesus. Right? I said it was in the triune God. We have God the Father, but it's right here. Jesus accomplishes our freedom by his sacrifice, the second part of verse 3. He condemned sin in the flesh, we read. He condemned sin in the flesh. So God the Father has worked, Jesus' sacrifice has worked, and now what we see here in verse 4 is that the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit now is part of this. The Holy Spirit enables us to live in freedom. Look at the the last part of of verse 4 here. Is that we do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The source of our freedom from condemnation is found right here in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons in his fullness. Okay, so we're walking through this and trying to understand what is this, this theme of, of flesh and spirit. In these next couple of verses, Paul offers um, two different descriptions of humanity. He, he boils it down. I mean, there, we could, we do, I'm going to talk about it more this week in the podcast, of the ways in which we divide humanity by a whole lot of different uh, like subtopics like we we love to we like to put people in different boxes and and it has to do with all sorts of things right like what we look like and what we think like and what we vote like and all this other stuff we we do that all the time paul boils it down to two he just says there's two types of people in this world just like there's two laws there's two people there's two people that are living on this planet and he explains this and um he said, I want to read to you verses 5 through 8. He says, these are the two people, right? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. He just cuts right to it. There's two laws in the world, and there's two kind of people that are living according to these laws. Two kinds of people. Two kinds of people. Paul just cuts right to it. She's two descriptions of humanity. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. Now, when Paul says flesh, I think we might already made this this, uh, determination here. But he means those who are not in Christ. In the flesh is not in Christ because Christ has put to death the flesh. So if you're still in the flesh, then you're not in Christ. Right? And when he says spirit, he's identifying those who have said yes to him. There's not, I need to say this maybe, there's not a third category here. In the flesh or in the spirit. 
in sin or in life. There's, there's, no, there's not like a super Christian category that, that some people, tr- there's not like a nominal, like isn't there an average, like is there, are there the C plus students, you know, that C plus Christians that I can be a part of that group, like where, where do I, la- there's two, there's just two. And maybe as you read, like I did, verses five through eight, and you go, oh man, I, I feel like I maybe identify more with living for the flesh. But I am a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. But yes, this battle you're talking about, Shannon, is actually quite real. And I understand what you're saying. But I, I, I'm, I'm at a place of confusion here. Listen, that's the work of, God, of sanctification in your life. That's, the work, that, that's God working in you right now. The mere fact that you might be thinking right now or wrestling with this going, oh man, there's two laws, flesh and spirit, and I seem to kind of step over here into the flesh a lot. That's the work of God right now. That is the Holy Spirit of God working in you going, hey, yeah, pay attention. Yeah, this is something for you to consider. Yeah, perhaps this is why, why, why things have been so hard. Yes, that's perhaps why that, that you think that I don't hear you when you pray or that things aren't working out the way they should be. Maybe you, you are living in the flesh, and I want you to see this and understand this and know this. This is the sanctifying work, the sanctifying grace of God in your life. It's, it's him right now, doing even in you right now through his word, by his spirit showing you this. So there's two types of people. Right? So let's look at those who live according to the flesh. The first part of verse 5. Look at it again. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Okay? Mind set. What is our mind set? We are setting our mind on things not of God. That's what they're saying. That's what Paul's saying here. Set. It means determined. That means focused. That means continual. My mind is set on things, and if it's according to the flesh, then that means it's set on things not of God. There's an um, interesting exchange that happens uh, between um, Peter and Jesus in Matthew 16. And Jesus is explaining that he's going to be arrested, he's going to be beaten, he's going to die and Peter gets pretty hot about it. He's like, no, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let anyone, no one's coming near you, Jesus. I will take them out. I will do. And Jesus rebukes him. He actually says, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes him. And, and is he calling Peter Satan? Who was, who was Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to the spirit of the flesh, the spirit of sin and flesh in Peter. He says to him in verse 23 of Matthew 16, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Right? Your mindset's not right, Peter. Mindset. Our mindset governed by the flesh. That word governed, right? Led, directed by self, by flesh. And that's a spiritual death. If it's not of the spirit of the law of the spirit of life, then it is it's of death. And so if we're governed by, if we're controlled by the flesh, that means ultimately that we are trying to live on our own strength. That's what we're doing. That's what Peter was doing right there. What can I do? Living by their own strength, by our own direction. Human concerns, as Jesus called it. Look again at this passage. 
uh, in Romans 5 through 8. Verses, what verses 7 through 8 show us is it reveals these, these characteristics. Do we have those verses up there? Okay. It reveals these characteristics of a mind that is set on the flesh. First of all, what we see is that we're hostile to God. A mind, set, a mind governed by under the law of the flesh is actually hostile to God. There's also a, a rebellion, right? It, there's no submission to God, so there's a rebellion there. And then there's just like an overall inability to please God. And there are, and, and I, don't, I do not say this lightly at all, <laughs> there are a whole bunch of people, and I know because I was one of these people at one time, Okay, that's why I say I don't say this lightly. There are a whole bunch of people walking amongst us, perhaps sitting amongst us. And it's okay, you're in a safe place. But you would say, you know, I'm, I'm not a Christian, but I mean, I'm not hostile to God. I mean, I'm not a believer like of what your stuff you're talking about here, Shannon, but I'm not rebelling against God. I'm not rebelling against him. And the, the problem with that, and I had to come face to face with this, is that God's word says that we are. That we are. Even if you don't feel like you are, even if you don't feel like you're in this place of hostility or this place of rebellion, Right? I mean, what does Jeremiah say about our heart, right? It is, <laughs> it's deceitful. If I'm not in Christ because of my sin, I'm, I'm hostile to God. There's a spiritual reality of who we are. Th this is the spiritual reality of who we are apart from Christ. So, so hear, hear this, hear this if you would especially in our, our moral um, southern quasi-Christian culture we live in, you cannot and will not please God apart from trusting in Jesus. You cannot and you will not please God apart from trusting in Jesus. There's no amount of good works. There's, there's no amount of helping your neighbor, or no amount of of money or attendance or anything like that, you will not please God apart from trusting in Jesus. There are two laws at work, the flesh and the spirit. One law is greater, the spirit. When we live according to that, and we live in Christ Jesus according to that, we are no longer hostile to God. We are no longer rebelling against God. We might at times, because of our flesh, step into that place, but we have the law of the Spirit to claim and hold on to. So, in John chapter 6, um, Jesus is asked, okay, what, what do we do to earn this salvation? Okay, it's like they were starting to understand, yeah, there's, there's, there's a war going on, there's a battle happening, there's good, there's evil, there's God, and there's the enemy, there's flesh and then there's life and what do we need to do to have this eternal life this salvation that you talk about Jesus what do I got to do tell me tell me tell me and I love how he responds in verse 29 he says the work of God is this did you pick up on that what do we have to do Jesus and what does he say the work of God is this 
God did the work. God did the work. You, you don't, you, the work of God is this. So it's like before he even really gives him the complete answer, Jesus does, he first is like, hey, you, you asked the question kind of wrong. What do you have to do? Well, God has done, right? What God did, he's, he's, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Our work is belief, porch community. Our work is belief. That's what we do. We believe. The laws have been set in place. Everything, the foundation is there. God has said it. The laws are there. The way to life and peace is through Jesus Christ. We just have to believe. And this is what Paul is laying out here in Romans 8. Right, so if you're struggling with faith, this, read this. Read Romans 7. Read Romans 8. If you have someone that you know that is struggling with faith and struggling with trying to understand, why do I do what I do and say what I say and I don't understand, and I'm back and forth, sit down with them and walk through this. Because these are words of life. They really are. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in Jesus. We cannot please God apart from from Jesus Christ. So, so Paul contrasts this, right? There's two types of people, as Paul says. There are people who live according to the flesh. And then he says, and then there are those who live according to the Spirit. According to the Spirit. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit. And who are these people? These are people that have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. This is our, the mindset, right? Again, we set our minds on this. We set our minds on this. How do we set our minds on the Spirit? I will tell you this, in the last two weeks, and it's not, not like give me a, a ribbon or a, a sticker or anything like that. I'm just telling you the process for me. Okay, that's, that's why I'm telling you this. Um, I cannot tell you the number of times over the last two weeks where I have, I've even said out loud on a few occasions, but I've most definitely said it internally. No, no, Shannon, that's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. Shannon, that's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. My mind starts to go, no, that's, that's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. My act, nope, nope, that's, that's not. And I'm not, I'm not saying every time, I'm like, oh, oh, I want to do it though, you know, I want to say it. You know, but, but I'm, I'm telling you, that's my process right now. So how do we do this? So I, I don't, again, I don't offer this as like, hey, just consider it. Like, this is, this is for us to, to live into. How do we set our minds on the Spirit? How do we live according to the Spirit? I want to read you from the Amplified Bible out of Philippians out of chapter 4, verse 8, well-known verse, amplified. I love this because it, it, it brings the same definition of, of words, um, but it, it amplifies what is being said. Chapter 4, verse 8. So how do we set our minds in the Spirit? It says this, finally, believers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable and worthy of respect, Whatever is right and confirmed by God's word, whatever is pure and wholesome. See, think about this. What, what, are your, what is your mind set on? As I say these words, are you going, yeah, my mind is set on these things. Yes. Yes, my mind is set on what's true and honorable and worthy of respect and right and confirmed by God's word and pure and wholesome. Yep, that's where my mind is. Let me read some more. What's our mind set on? Whatever is lovely, and brings peace. Your mind set on that? What's bringing peace? Whatever is admirable and of good repute. 
If there is any excellence, if there is anything, anything worthy of praise, think continually on these things. And there, here's the amplification here. Continually on these things means to center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. Wow. Set our minds on the things of the Spirit. How do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit? Philippians 4, 8 gives us the answer to this. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we start to, uh, to implement Philippians 4, 8 as just an example? Well, there are the things, there, there are, we're disciplined people. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you know that you're a disciplined person. You're actually, you are very disciplined. You are a very disciplined person. I promise you. There are things that you are really, really good at because you have disciplined yourself to do them. I mean, you're really good. You might be really good at, at uh, multitasking, right? You might be really good at, at texting, and driving, and drinking coffee, and other things that you shouldn't be doing while you're operating heavy machinery. But like, we are really, we are disciplined people. We're disciplined people, right? Like, do you pride yourself on, you don't need the lights on, you know exactly where the buttons are in the remote. You don't need to know. The lights don't need to be on in the living room. You're like, I got this. Because you've disciplined yourself to know. Like, so we are disciplined people, and I say all that because how do we put our minds on things of the Spirit? How do we make our minds set on this? Like continually? Wow. How do we do this? Well, spiritual disciplines help us with this. Yeah, prayer. Corporate prayer. Private prayer. One-on-one -on -one prayer. Prayer with your spouse, with your family, with your close group of friends. Right, That kind of prayer. Reading God's Word alone, together, corporately. Right? Worshiping together. How do we set our minds on the things of the Spirit? What is the noise that we need to block out in order for us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit? Right? We gather. We're in community. We meditate on God's Word. I know that word sometimes, meditate, gets kind of a weird, like, new agey thing, but it just means to let God's Word sit with you. Sometimes we read it and we immediately want to highlight it and mark it and write it down and rewrite it again and then we got to post it, you know, like, but maybe we just read it and let it just sit there with us. Maybe we just read it and then we go, all right, the rest of the day I'm going to think about this verse. And like, we just allow God to let that word sit with us, right? But so here, I want to ask you a question. What are you setting your mind on right now? What are you setting your mind on? What are you, al what are you allowing to drive the narrative of your mind? What are you allowing to drive the ongoing narrative of your mind? Because we all have one. We have an ongoing narrative. I'm stressed out. I'm stressed out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to identify everything that stresses me out because that's my narrative. Right? I'm neglected. Right? I, I don't, no one recognizes me and sees what's going on. So I'm going to identify everything that happens. I'm tired. <laughs> so I'm going to look at everything that exhausts me. Because that's the narrative of my mind. Right? 
What is driving? What is the narrative of your mind? What are you allowing to drive that? Is it true? Is it honorable? Is it lovely? Is it pure? Because I know this in my, my heart. I'm not always actively thinking about such things that are mentioned in Philippians 4a. I'm not. I know much of the time I am thinking about other things. My mind is focused on other things. And could it be, yes, could it be that some of the, the anxieties and the issues and the concerns and the burdens and the things that we are facing in our hearts, in our lives, in our relationship is because we are setting our minds on things that are not of the Spirit of God. So what if we actively pursued, like actively pursued, I'm going to set my mind on the things of the Spirit. What, what, what if we, I'm not going to set my mind on the things of the flesh. How would that change things? Friends, it would change things. Because, because then, when our mind is set on the Spirit, there's actually like something gets produced, Okay? Something gets produced. When we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, we live according to the Spirit. We know this. Well, the last part of verse 6 of Romans 8 says, the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Wow. Life and peace. Isn't that something that we crave? Isn't that something we crave like at the very core of who we are? Life and peace, like life in its fullness and its completeness, like peace in our heart, peace in our, in our mind and our soul, right? The essence of our existence, life and peace. And verse six tells us when we set our mind on and it's governed by the Holy Spirit of God, life and peace is a result. And then the, that is that, that fruit produced. Here's what Galatians chapter five tells us. Again, another very well-known verse. But in, there are two Laws at work, friends, the flesh and the spirit. The law of the spirit is greater than the law of the flesh, yet they're both still battling for us while we're on this earth. But if we are in Christ, the law of the spirit of Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, and we can live in this. And when we live in this, and we actively set our minds on this, and we say, I'm going to pursue this in my life, then fruit is produced. And we see in verse 22 of Galatians 5 that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy, and peace, forbearance, that means you put up with people, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what this is what the, the fruit of, the, of a mind set on the spirit looks like. Write these down. They're not on the screen to look at later. Ephesians 2.5, it tells us that we are spiritually made alive with Christ when we are in the spirit. When we are in the spirit of God, when we are subjecting ourselves, our mind is set on the spirit of God. Romans 5.1 says that we have peace with God through Jesus. Isn't that good? Life and peace. And then Matthew 5.9 tells us that we reflect the glory of God like it is evident when we are peacemakers, we are people of life and peace, life and peace. And I read this and I'm like, oh, this is good. And I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this all the time. Right? Do you feel that too? Like, do you? Here, here's good news. I want to be good news. I want to deliver good news. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. 
This is the identity we have. This is who we are. This is who we are in Jesus, even when we don't feel like it sometimes. This is who we are if we are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are. So let me hit, let me uh, focus on this for a moment. The last part of this theme of spirit, uh, flesh and spirit, quickly through verses 9 through 13. And these verses are conditional. They are conditional. They are based upon our free will choice. And this is seen by the number of times the word if is mentioned in these verses. Romans 8, 9 through 13. It says this, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. There's the first if. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Now here's what the Spirit gives to those who believe, verse, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness, and that righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Right? More ifs. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And that is the promise of the resurrection of life to come. And then here's how Paul concludes this theme of flesh and spirit here in Romans 8. He says this in verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters. So, therefore, why is he saying therefore? Because there's a spirit of flesh and spirit, a law of the flesh and a law of the spirit. And they're, they're here. And, and what is our mind set on? Who are we submitting to? So he says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. That is not our obligation. For if you live according to the, the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, these great three words, you will live. Flesh and Spirit. So as we, as we move in, in, in just a moment to a time of, of well, I would say it's like reflection and response and, and even praise. As the band goes ahead and comes back, they make their way out here. I want you to hear this porch community, and I want you to hear it even though there will be some movement. You guys should go ahead and come on. Uh, but I want you to hear this because, honestly, this is like a whole other message for a whole other time, and, and maybe we'll get to it. But I, I do want to say this. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a Christian who does not possess the Spirit of God. So if you're going, oh, I believe, but I don't know if about the Spirit thing. Or I've been told that you got to do this to have. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not possess the Spirit of God. If you have prayed in some way before, or if even today is a day that you pray something like, God, I, I believe in your son Jesus Christ. I believe he has given his life for my sins, his flesh for my flesh. And as he was resurrected on, on, the, on the third day, so too my life was now resurrected because of the work that you have done through Jesus. Right? So my sins are covered by the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has sacrificed it. 
my flesh has been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? The spirit of God. That kind of prayer, that kind of understanding, that kind of confession, that kind of expression of belief is the moment that the spirit of God comes and takes up residence inside of you. That moment. There's not another hula hoop you got to jump through. I don't know if it's a hula hoop you jump through, but... That's the moment that the Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you. That kind of prayer is, what you, is when you step across the line from unbelief into belief. That's that prayer. That's what that is. That's, that's the prayer. And that's when the Spirit of God moves in you. And that's when suddenly you are no longer subject to the law of sin and death and unable to get out from under it. You are now a card-carrying member of, I've got the law of the Spirit of life. And I don't have to live under that anymore. That's when you become a believer and the Holy Spirit's in you. So remember this. Let's close our eyes and have a time of prayer that there's two laws at work, friends. There are the promises of the law of the Spirit and they are now made available to you. The law of the Spirit is greater than the law of the flesh. God, we understand that the law of your Spirit is of you. And the law of the flesh is of the enemy. And you are greater than our enemy. We thank you for the life, the death, the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and the infilling of your Holy Spirit to empower us to be people who set our minds on you. Would you do that today? Lord, there are there are prayers right now, there are desires right now among our people who are saying, oh my goodness, I need this. I need to, 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 to set my mind on things of the Spirit. God, I pray that they would have a conversation with you right now. I pray that they would not allow distraction to that they would allow the Spirit of life to be the most powerful law that works right now in this room. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things, amen.